Hey, uh, thank Josh and the team, would you? Nice. And Gosschocks, thank you. I'm glad some of your families here as well. Thank you for letting us be a part of today with you. Beautiful. You have beautiful family, beautiful girls. And uh, we can't wait to see how God uses them in unique ways as he's already used the two of you in their lives and in many other lives. And in the others that have made decisions today, every time I see a decision made like that, it reminds me of my own decision. And it helps me reaffirm what matters most. I remember a moment in time when I made a thoughtful surrender to Jesus. And that's happened multiple times in my life. Certainly one stands out above the others, but many times in my life, sometimes in a saying just like this, usually around people I love or in nature, someplace where I'm in awe of God's majesty, I make a decision to make the most important things the most important things and other things fall to the wayside. And my hope is that that's the case for you today. Because you live in a culture, we live in a culture where the things that are trivial or unimportant can fight for a top billing in your mind or in your anxiety or in your plans or in your agenda. And our hope through this series, this this one verse series, is to point you to a few places where scripture can kind of clear away the debris and say, this is what matters most. And most of the verses have pointed you to some of the same things over and over again. We've just said it in different ways, either relationally or spiritually or something like that. But we're pointing you to an understanding of what matters most. So we have one more week in the series. But today, as I watch school about to start and I watch culture kind of get into an interesting place, I mean, I don't know if you feel like I feel, but I kind of feel like we're back to the same place we've been many times throughout the pandemic where we're just watching and waiting and the uncertainty kind of looms. What's going to happen? What's next? Uh, Is it going to get worse? Is it going to get better? Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you don't. But I feel like many of us are in a place where there's a sense that we're all about half cocked, if you will, and uh, we're just ready to uh, release something. And sometimes it shows up in withdrawing and deciding we're not going to engage anymore. Sometimes it shows up in terms of us being angry. I don't know if you saw the headlines this week. There was a gentleman, let me know if you saw this, a gentleman on a frontier flight that was duct taped to his seat. Who read the, who read the, the article? Okay. This is incredible. And of course, because everybody in the world carries with them an HD video recorder, uh, this, there's videos all over the web of this incident where this gentleman uh, had some altercations with flight attendants. And I had no idea flight attendants had duct tape at their disposal. <laughs> but apparently it's a very good thing that they do because they used about a roll of it to uh, literally duct tape this man to his seat. And after they get done duct taping him to his seat, the rest of the plane applauds. Now, I'm not judging anybody who's on that flight. I might have done the same thing. But I hope if I had done the same thing, I would have at least thought maybe a minute or two after that, wait a second, what did I just witness? And what in the world am I clapping for? And the videos that are online, you're going to Google it. I know you are when you get home now if you haven't seen it. And watch a few of these. You'll see incredible laughter, just strange applause, and this man struggling against the duct tape for the duration of his flight until he got landed and arrested and charged with three different charges. And that, of course, is a, what, a parable for our times or maybe how some of us feel inside but we haven't acted out yet or maybe you see this in various places but we have this sort of feeling that's there. And I I can't think of another verse than our verse today that would maybe be a bit of a true north for us 
as we try to find our way forward. And if you felt any of the anxiety or any of the uncertainty that's out there, or you have this sense that we're headed back to, you know, normal, whatever that is, and then something gets yanked back and you're angry about that, then maybe this verse can kind of recalibrate your compass a little bit and help you know how to engage. Here's the verse. It comes in the beginning portion of the Sermon on the Mount. It's a part of what Jesus uh, spoke as he began this sermon. We've named it, Jesus didn't, but we've named it one of the Beatitudes. And it says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. It's a great verse, powerful verse, lots of meaning behind it. We'll unpack a bit of it, but let's all say it together just to kind of nestle it into our hearts and our minds, our consciousness. Are you ready? Let's say it together. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. It's one of my favorite verses. And the reason why it is, is because I'm a peacemaker. I'm a Enneagram 9. If that doesn't mean anything to you, it doesn't matter. But uh, Enneagram 9 is actually called a peacemaker. It's a personality inventory. And I'm a peacemaker, so I read this, and I think Jesus sort of had me in mind when he said this. Blessed are the peacemakers. I'm a a middle child, uh, and so I've had decades of practice being a peacemaker. Um, There's more written about me as a middle child than anybody else in the birth order because there's such a conundrum, you know, to the psychology world. And so I've got an older brother who's, you know, firstborn type A, and I've got a younger brother who's, you know, lazy as heck. And so, um, and and I'm not stereotyping, that's just who they are, but it turns out that's stereotyping. One of them's watching today, but you know it's not the lazy one, right? He's still sleeping. And so... This is who I am, just right square in the middle. And I spent my life, I've spent decades making peace, being a peacemaker and walking into a room because of this way, God, I don't nature, nurture, wiring, I don't know, but that's who I am. I, I can walk into a room and if there's conflict or tension, I can tell us there. And some of you are just like that. And so we spend our time trying to, you know, ease, ease the tension and, and be sure that there's no conflict, be sure that it's all good. We're all good, right? And I've come to a new understanding of this verse and it's moved it from a favorite to, I don't know, less than favorite maybe is the way to say it, but it's become important in a way that I didn't want it to become. And as I try to live it out, God's done some transformative things in the way I see peacemaking. The way I lived for decades, you would have thought that Jesus said it this way. Blessed are the peace fakers. But he didn't say that. But peace faking was my MO. I mean, we're all good, right? We can tell nobody's good, but I want everybody to be good. So we're going to say we're good. You're fine, I'm fine, we're all fine, and nobody is fine. And peace faking is about the business of pretending that everybody's gonna just be fine and get through the day, and and of course, that's not the case. We know that seething underneath is, is tension, disagreement, values at odds, opinions and feelings and unforgiveness and hurt. But peace fakers are really glad to ignore all of that if we can just get through dinner without somebody throwing the salt shaker. And if we can do that, then we've won. That's peace faking. The peace is pretend. And some of you are great at that. And you wish, same way I did for decades, I wish that Jesus had said, blessed are the peace fakers. Some of you go the other way. 
maybe your firstborn or something like that, or through nature or nurture, God created or wired you a little bit differently. And for you, Jesus didn't say peace fakers. He said, blessed are the peacekeepers. And so peace comes not because everyone has been reconciled, but because you're in the room and people know better than to dissent with you. People know better than to disagree with you. People know better than to offer a varying opinion or say, yeah, I mean, I hear what you're saying, but what if we, or maybe you haven't considered, and so maybe you lead a company, maybe you lead a group of people, maybe you're a part of a family, and your MO is to be a peacekeeper. And so by might or by fight, there will be peace. And the peace is the same as with the peace faker. It's pretend. It's not real. It's not even there. But... Salt shakers don't get thrown and we can all finish dinner and go to our separate corners and wish we had had a real conversation. Anybody that challenges the peace with a peacekeeper, well, the price is usually high and swift. And so the CEO of the company or the patriarch or the matriarch of the family, they ensure that the things that matter most don't really get discussed. So I don't know what your family's like or your company's like or your neighborhood association or wherever you find yourself among people and living. But Jesus did not say, blessed are the peace fakers, or he did not say, blessed are the peacekeepers. What he said is, blessed are the peacemakers. Now, over the last several years, I've come to an understanding of what this means. It's very different, and it's hard and difficult work. And of course it's hard and difficult work. When do you need a peacemaker? The only time you need a peacemaker is when there is no peace. When there is a lack of peace. When there is friction or disagreement and conflict. And so the peacemaker Well, I used to believe that peacemakers, they just loved the peace and kept the peace and made the peace and faked the peace. But no, 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 a peacemaker, that is a very, very different thing. And so for us to get our head around it, let's dig into the word and take it apart a bit. And here's here's my hope, that you and I walk away today with maybe a little bit of a different understanding of what this means and that we step out into a world that's just outside these doors and for you at home, just outside your home, maybe even in your home, that is in deep need of of real, true, and lasting peace. It's interesting. When Jesus says this, blessed are the peacemakers, this is the only place in Scripture, Matthew 5, 9, where this word exists. It's a Greek word, one word, and this word isn't used anywhere else in the New Testament. It's the only place where it exists. But it's like all compound words, even in the Greek. It's really two different words. And they're put together to make one word or a completely different meaning. It doesn't change the meaning of the two words, but it does create a different idea that helps us figure out how we're moving forward. And to understand that, it might be better if we move it around a bit and maybe say it a little bit differently. Let's say it this way. This is my version. Blessed are those who, say it with me, make peace. This word make, it's a Greek word all of its own. And it means to to construct or to form, to fabricate. This is what it means literally. It means literally to make a thing out of something. I think it's a great phrase. 
Because to make a thing out of something means that you and I do something. We make all kinds of things. Some of you have made a family, like the Gottschalks. There was at one point in time just Lonnie and Katrina, and now there's more than Lonnie and Katrina. Why? Well, they made a thing, person, child, baby, beautiful daughters, out of a thing, out of a something, out of a marriage, a union, a relationship. And you do this too. Some of you have made companies, businesses, nonprofits, because you saw what was there and there were pieces here and there and over there and you pulled them together and this thing didn't exist until you took these pieces and being made in God's image with creator as a part of who you are, you made a thing. And that thing lives, could be a family, could be a business, could be an idea, could be an ideology, could be a value. And you made it. That's what it means to make. You construct it. And you put it together. This is what the word make means when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. It's the same word that Jesus uses in the Greek when he says to the disciples, I mean, you guys know how to fish, but I'm going to make you what? Fishers of men. You know the, you know the moment. It's calling the disciples to a new work. And he calls them to this new work. And he says, I, I, I know you know tackle and nets. I know you know the Sea of Galilee and when the weather's coming in and when to be on the water and when to be off the water. You know all of that stuff. It's, it's, it's ingrained. You've been doing it since you were kids. But I'm going to teach you a new thing. I'm going to teach you how to make... I'm going to make you into fishers of men. And it's going to be different. You're going to not be dealing with fish and tackle and nets. You're going to be dealing with words and thoughts and ideas and men's, women's hearts. And you're going to draw them into a different thing. That's what I'm going to do. And so Peter, James, and John, they didn't know the rest of them, Thaddeus and Bartholomew, that their life would change from that moment on. Jesus said, I will make you. I will construct you, form you. I'm going to make a thing out of something. Became the church. This other piece of the word, peace, P-E-A-C-E, it means this, that there is harmony between two or more that did not have harmony. There was discord and disagreement, and we did not get along, but now there is harmony. We, we do find us in a new place relationally. There was enmity and there was distance, but now we are together. Does it mean that we agree does it mean that we think the same things? Does it mean that we vote for the same candidates? Does it mean that we do anything the same? But harmony is there, and there was not harmony. And so, therefore, we are reconciled. It's a great word. It means we're brought together. And what that means is that my relationship with you is more important than what we think about a thing or our opinions about something else. We are reconciled. Not that we've decided to overlook it. That's peace faking. Not that we've decided to create conformity. That's peacekeeping. But we have decided that we will make peace. Why? What matters most? How do we find ourselves on the same page? Harmony and reconciliation. And so when that happens, what happens with me and you is we've moved into a place of safety or no anger. Literally, it means that war is not raging like it is in 40 different places across the world today. It's not on our radar. We're withdrawing and we're trying to move out of war. But in 40 
plus places across the world. There is no peace. There is armed conflict. Some that have gone on for decades, some for months, and many all in between. Peacemaking. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And so when we make peace, we're doing something unique. We're constructing and forming, and we're doing that in the form of reconciliation and harmony. When I was growing up, my dad became a hobby woodworker. He was an engineer by trade, and so he's a very exacting man, and so woodworking really fit his natural engineer mindset, and so he began learning woodworking, and he would buy tools, and we had a little one-car garage in our house in Lexington, Kentucky, and I never remember a car ever being in that garage. Never did we park in it, because it was filled with dad's tools and wood and all kinds of things, and then by the time I was in middle school, that garage was so full, we built a garage in the backyard that was a car and a half, and that one got filled with more tools and more wood, and he loved to spend weekends and evenings building and making furniture and all kinds of things. We have some furniture in our home that he's built. All the brothers do. It's all over the family. And we just love that stuff because it's beautiful and it's well-made. Every now and then, middle school and high school, on a given Saturday, I'd get up and dad would get up. We didn't have anything on, on the plan. And he would say, let's go out to the garage. And we'd get there and he would say this, this one simple question. What do you want to make? What do you want to make? We'd be in this boy's heaven. I mean, there's tools everywhere. I'm not supposed to touch any of them because they're so dangerous, you know. I mean, very, very dangerous. Power tools and sharp things. And, but then there's wood scraps in every corner of this garage and in the rafters that we have. I mean, you, you have a garage like this. Your, your grandpa has a garage like this. And I would look around and he would say, what do you want to make? And this question would just ignite my imagination. And we would ponder what we would make. And he was ready to spend the day. And that's what we would do. What do you want to make? And so we would grab wood from this corner. And maybe it would be a project that he had already, he'd learned and made a couple of these and they're laying around the house. And maybe I've seen them or this table or this little thing or this little thing he made on the jigsaw, this box that would come apart in three different ways. Just incredible stuff that dad would make. And he would say, let's get some pieces. And we would construct and form. We would make a thing out of something. We would take scrap wood that dad had tossed in a corner. And by the time we're done, we had made something. Usually we would finish it the next Saturday by the time we're totally done. But it would be created and finished and ready to set someplace as a thing of beauty. Maybe even useful. And he did most of the making. I did the learning. But we would make it. This is the picture that Jesus gives when he says, blessed are the peacemakers. It wasn't there before, but the pieces were there. What does that mean? The people are there. The ideas are there. What's required for a peacemaker? Well, it, it means that somebody understands this idea. We're not going to fake it or keep it or pretend like it's not there or is there, but we're going to construct it. We're going to conform it. We're going to make a thing out of something, and it's going to be people who are coming together in harmony and reconciled. It's a safe place. Anger is no longer a part of it. Well, if you're going to do that, if you're going to step into your family and do that, if you're going to do it in your workplace, if you're going to do it in your neighborhood, if you're going to do it with your spouse, maybe that's where it's needed the most, 
It's also the hardest place to do it. If you're going to make peace, then there are a few things that you want to take with you as an understanding before you step into a big wood shop with lots of dangerous tools and find yourself all eaten up and chewed up and hurt. The first is this, and this is important. I alluded to it earlier. Peacemakers move toward the mess of conflict. This is what peacemakers do. Peace fakers don't. They pretend. Peacekeepers don't do this either. But peacemakers have learned the habit of sensing the conflict. They already do because they have empathy, most of them to begin with. And they know the conflict is there, but they don't shrink back from it. They don't put a Band-Aid on it. They don't act like it's all good when it's not good. They move toward the mess of conflict. And the truth is this, conflict is messy because things get said, feelings are hurt, people go away mad, and then they come back later. It takes time. It's a process. Peacemaking is incredibly hard work. But peacemakers see the mess of conflict and they don't shrink back from it. They don't go away from it. They move toward it. And I know you're tired. I'm tired. I'm tired of the world being at war. I'm tired of people arguing and name calling. And I mean, have you even kept up with the laws about mask mandates or the prohibition of mask mandates or what governors do and what? I, I, I'm so tired of the conflict. And if you're tired of the conflict too, all that means is that what you need to do when you're tired is the thing you learned to do when you were young. You get some cookies and take a nap. And then you wake up and you go back in. So get some rest. Sure, withdraw. That's great. Only for a moment. Only enough time for you to get your wits about you. Everything's better after a good night's sleep. And then you step back in. Why? Because the world and the conflicts that are there, and let's be honest, the conflict is at every level. From the highest levels of people who are making decisions for everybody in the country to your neighbors and your friends and your family and everywhere in between. That's not going away. What's needed? Peacemakers. Peacemakers who do the hard work of constructing peace from all of the disparate nuggets that are there. All the materials are there. But to do so, you have to move toward the mess of the conflict. But then you're going to need some tools and the right tools. Well, the one thing I learned from my dad is if you don't use the right tool for the job, you could get hurt. Now, we use the wrong tools all the time when me and my brothers were growing up. We, we learned this lesson because we would use dad's screwdrivers for tent stakes. I've mentioned that before. <laughs> screwdrivers make great tent stakes. They really do. And you can never find tent stakes when you need them. So we would grab dad's screwdrivers and they would get rusty and old and, and burned out. And so dad would always say, Look, you're going to get hurt if you don't use the right tool for the job. And I think he meant like a belt on our backside, but <laughs> I think there are also some other ways that you could get hurt if you don't understand that you're, you need the right tool for the job. And so if you're going to be a peacemaker, you need the right tools. And they're pretty simple, and they're all through Scripture, and they're pretty self-evident, but let's call them out. The first peacemaker tool is love. It, it, this isn't love the noun. This isn't love the feeling. This is love the verb. Whenever love is mentioned in scripture, it's love the verb. It's not, a, it's not an infatuation. It's not even your feeling that you get when you love something and anticipate it. That's not scriptural love. It's a kind of love, but it's not scriptural love. Scriptural love is chiefly agape love. And agape love means that I want what's best for you and I'm gonna actively, purposefully pursue it 
with what I do. That's what love is. It means I don't hold things against you. It means I don't hold a grudge. It means that I am willing to forgive and let go. Not forget, that's a silly notion. Whoever said that, I have no idea. It means that I am going to do something that will express my commitment to what is in your best interest. I'm going to move that direction every time we can interact. It's love. Actively, tangibly pursuing it. The second that's similar to it is this idea of empathy. Some of you naturally have empathy and some of you don't. And you probably know who you are. Empathy is this sense that you feel somebody else's feelings. And so when somebody's sad and you're in their presence, if you find yourself not feeling pity, that's another thing altogether. You find yourself feeling their feeling and you kind of carry it with you then you have empathy, a natural thing. But empathy is a skill and it is a tool that can be developed. You can learn to use it. And what it means is that you climb into somebody else's story and you experience what they experience. Look, the people that you disagree with, ideologically, politically, value, ethic, doesn't matter. The people that you disagree with, if you took 10 minutes, just think about that, 10 minutes, and try to figure out, listen to, ask questions, their story with empathy, then you would be this much closer to understanding why they think what they think. It takes security to have empathy. Security means, I'm not worried I have, I have my mind changed. I'm not worried that I'm gonna get, you know, uh, their brand of cooties or be infected by their thinking. Empathy means I can step into their world and think like they think, just for a bit, so that I can understand them. This, in fact, is the essence of the incarnation when Jesus became flesh. That's what he did. He became like us so that he could reconcile us. And so when you show empathy, that means that instead of trying to make your case, you become very curious about the other person the other ideology, the other set of values that you, of course, completely disagree with. But that doesn't even matter. If you're going to peacemake, these two tools are key. And they're the two easiest ones. The third is a bit harder. The third will get you home all the way, and it's this. It's humility. Now, I, I know you think what you think because you know you're right. In fact, all your opinions that you currently hold, not one of them you think is wrong or you would have already changed your mind, right? You've already shifted, jumped teams, changed the way you think about it. Humility says that when you engage in love and empathy with somebody else or three other people or five other people, when you're trying to do some peacemaking, the hard, messy work of peacemaking, that you bring to the table a sense of humility that says, I don't think I'm wrong, but I might be. If you can bring that to the table, then you have the tools that are necessary to do peacemaking. This is what's missing from our culture. This is what's missing from the discourse. This is why people are at each other instead of listening to one another. This is why you're tired and why you're weary. Disagreeing, well, that'll just take the life right out of you. Real human connection 
where you and I understand each other thoughtfully and carefully with love and empathy and humility, this is life-giving. You do more of this, you'll be less tired. I guarantee it. And when you see the other, you will go the other direction. Blessed are the peacemakers. We haven't even looked at the very last part of this verse, this beatitude that Jesus gives. I'm sure you caught it. He says this, blessed are the peacemakers, say it with me, for they will be called children of God. This, this is the result. Beatitudes all have a if this, then this kind of feel syntax to them. This is the result. What, What does that mean? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be the offspring. They will be just like the offspring of God. You know who's saying this, right? It is, it is Jesus who's saying this. He is, in fact, the very offspring of God. He is God's incarnate son. And he says, from his own mouth, if you decide to engage in the hard, messy, difficult work of peacemaking, you too will be like him. Oh, don't, don't get big-headed, right? I mean, you're not deity, right? You don't get to be worshipped or anything like that. But you become like him in spirit and in nature and in the fruit and the result of what occurs. God created you in his image. And by being in his image, you find yourself in a place where you get to step into places where there is disunity, enmity, separation, and you get to bring it together. Isn't that what Jesus did? I mean, before he came, there was enmity between you and God. Before you were forgiven, you were God's enemy, the scriptures say. And because of Jesus, you are reconciled into your relationship with God. No more war, no more disunity. There is harmony there. And God wants people like me and you to step into a culture that is toxic, that is conflict-ridden, conflict-avoidant, conflict-focused, and bring tools that will bring about peace. That's what he wants. And in doing so, you get to represent the one who made you, the image of God, So just stop and think for a minute. Think about your interactions over the last week or two. You don't have to go very far back, maybe just a couple of days. Would any of these things have been helpful or beneficial in those conversations? What would have happened if you had brought them to the table? Let me guide you through a bit of a prayer time that will maybe help us when we leave these walls or when you leave your home, those online, engage in peacemaking. Let's pray. Lord, would you right now, just for each one of us, bring to mind some things that have happened over the last week or two in our interactions with coworkers, family, and friends, where peace was missing or peace was being faked or peace was being kept by somebody in charge or the loudest voice in the room. 
or would you call to mind right now a relationship that is in need of, of deep and lasting peace? And some of us listening right now, we're doing all we can to avoid the real discussion. But it's necessary. It, it needs to happen. We're just putting it off. We're burying it for another day. God, your scriptures say through the mouth of Jesus, blessed are the peacemakers. Lord, help us to get about the business of constructing, forming, taking pieces of relationships together doing the hard work. And Lord, if we're tired, help us to get the rest that we need so that when we engage in this work, our minds are sharp, our hearts are listening to you. Lord, we do this not because of what Jesus said in the Beatitudes. We do it because we have been reconciled to you. And the peace that we have with you, the forgiveness and the grace that we experience, the mercy that has flooded our lives, knowing that we no longer bear the weight or the consequence of our sin, Lord, we value peace so deeply. And we want those in our lives, everyone who in you live and move and have our being to experience that same peace, not just with you, but with each other. And so help us to be thoughtful. Help us to be wise. Help us to move with love and empathy and humility. Help us to represent who you are to a war-torn, conflict-ridden world. Lord, may your love and peace shine through us in every way possible. knowing that we are your children. This is our hope and prayer.